All right. Well, if you have uh, your Bible or your phone or whatever you use to kind of uh, consume Scripture, turn to it now. We're going to uh, actually study a little passage in the Old Testament um, that most people don't know and look at. And I think this passage would make just an incredible epic story, an incredible movie, right? Some of the special effects that you could uh, use would be great. I do need to warn you, the movie would probably uh, need to be R-rated. Um, but I'm not going to paint those pictures today. I just want to tell the story. So it's found in 2 Samuel 23. Uh, if you need to look up 2 Samuel in the uh, contents, please do so. Uh, it's not a verse that we go to very often. So we're on a story, this sermon series, called Not So Secret Service. And the idea is that once we decide to follow Jesus, we join an army, a, a movement. We become agents of his to spread and to share his love around the world. I was thinking about this the other day. I became a Christian when I was uh, 15 years old. And in England, uh, high school finishes at 16 before you go to a little two-year college, before you go to, to grown-up school. And so I knew that when I became a Christian at 15, I wasn't going to be with those people uh, in my class for very much longer. And so I thought, what can I do to share my faith with them? And I was in the minority. England is an incredibly secular country now. So I wasn't going to do something that would embarrass me or uh, cause some kind of shame towards me because, well, no one likes being in the minority, right? So I decided that in order to take my stand for Christ, to proclaim this message that so many keep secret, was that I was going to get this, this T-shirt that had a scripture verse on it. It's probably only one of the Christian T-shirts I've, I've owned over the course of my life, other than the Church Together T-shirts available for 10 bucks. If you want one, just a little plug there, right? But this T-shirt said on it boldly, loudly, a verse from Romans chapter 1 that said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe. Now, like, this is my moment to make this message not secret anymore. And so I was feeling a little bit anxious, but a little bit bold as I walked to the bus stop that morning. And as I got on the bus, I sat on the bus for a little bit. Not many people on the bus, but I had my shirt on, right? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're driving to school. And rather than feeling more and more empowered, I'm feeling more and more nervous. And as I'm walking down the steps of this double-decker bus, I feel an unusual chill in the air for me. <laughs> and decide that I need to put my sweater on. <laughs> and for the next eight hours, when everyone else was wearing their T-shirts because it was summer, here's me walking around in this sweatshirt because I wimped out of making the stand for Jesus. 
right? The the irony hits me now. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. (laughs) But let me wear a sweater so you can't see that. The reality is, most of us, when it comes to sharing our faith, consider ourselves in the secret service where we want to keep that message to ourselves rather than a not-so-secret service where we have to proclaim this message about Jesus. So we're talking through this series, the not-so-secret service. In a couple of weeks, we've got a real secret service agent coming to talk to us about how her secret service training allowed her to live a not-so-secret life for Jesus. And her story is incredible. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the strategy of being in this not-so-secret service, and the strategy really is Jesus. Last week, we talked about the dress code for, not, for being in this not-so-secret service, right? And the dress code is that we would wear truth, and we would wear faith, and we would wear righteousness, and those other things that Paul talks about. Today I want to talk about another aspect that we need to check if we're going to live lives fully for Jesus Christ in his not-so-secret service. And today I want to talk about what it means to get our security detail right. Now, you know what a security detail is, right? It's when people who are very valuable have people around them to protect them. Did you know that God looks down from heaven and considers us incredibly valuable? Incredibly valuable because he's got great plans for us. He's got a great future for us, but primarily because he loves us so much. He's given his son for us, and he doesn't want the enemy to touch us. And so I believe that as part of this not-so-secret service, God gives each of us the responsibility to build a security detail around us. Now, the reason we have these security details is to keep us safe. There are a lot of people in the kingdom of God who are getting punched and pulled this way and that by the enemy because they don't have people around them in their security deal detail helping protect them. The story in 2 Samuel is about the security detail of King David. King David at the time was the most powerful man on the earth. He was revered by everybody who knew of him on the planet. He was revered from heaven because he was a man after God's own heart. But the main reason why David was to be so successful for for Christ and for his kingdom was not because he did it alone, but because he surrounded himself with the right kind of people. He got his security detail right. 
And so the story picks up. David is coming towards the end of his life. It's been a great and glorious life. He'd got into a little bit of trouble, but when he was in a little bit of trouble, ultimately his security detail came around him and exposed him and helped him get that right. Scripture calls these people in David's detail, mighty men. And the reality is, if we want to become all that God has for us, we need to surround ourselves with mighty men and women who have our back and who will stand with us and function as part of our security detail. So David's dying. He's writing the final words of his life. And he wants to capture some of the heroic stories of his detail. But in these stories, I believe he gives us pointers to the kind of people that we need in our detail. You tracking? If we go on our own, if we try to do it on our own, we are very, very vulnerable and prone to make some dumb, some stupid mistakes. But if we can surround ourselves with a detail of people who've got our back, then who knows how far we can go, how high we can fly, what victories we can win. So 2 Samuel 23, three little stories in the first section, starting at verse 8. It says, these are the names of David's mightiest warriors. The first is a guy called Jehobim. He was the leader of the three. So David had three who were really close to him, his bodyguards, and then he had an outer circle of about 30 who protected him. Jasabim, who was the leader of the three, he once used his spear to kill 800 enemy warriors in a single battle. Isn't that crazy? You can imagine David and Jezebel, they're just standing there one at a time, fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. He stood with David. Next in the rank was Eleazar. Once Eleazar and David stood together against the Philistines when the entire Israelite army had fled. We read about this story a little bit earlier in Chronicles. And what's happening is the Philistines are mocking the Israelites. They're saying, you're not good enough. You're not strong enough. We're going to give you a whipping. And at this, most of the Israelite army ran away, except for David and this guy. And they stood together and they fought and they fought and they fought and they killed Philistines until his hand was too tired to lift his sword. And the Lord gave him victory that day. As a note, taking a little swipe at the army, David said the rest of the army didn't return until it was time to collect the plunder, the reward. Then there's a third story of the top three. Next in ramp was Shammah, son of Agi from Hara. One time the Philistines gathered at Lehi and attacked the Israelites in a field full of lentils. Lentils, lentils. Sounds like a biblical group, doesn't it? <laughs> the lentils. <laughs> he was, maybe he's the leader of the lentils. He, he fought to protect the lentils. <laughs> 
The Israelite army fled, but Shaman held his ground in the middle of the field and beat back the Philistines. So the Lord brought a great victory that day. These three people had one thing in common. They were honorably prepared to stand up for the one that they were protecting. And so the first question that I think I would ask and that I think David teaches us about this detail is who is there in your life that will, for honorable reasons, stand up and protect you? The first one, David couldn't have won on his own, but he stands there just fighting. The second one, all his friends, those who were supposed to to help him, fled. But there was one who stood with him. This third guy, the Lentilite, (laughs) was protecting the field. And protecting the field was, was really important. Not just because the field belonged to David, his king, but because the lentils were such a, a crucial part of the food chain. And if they captured that, there was all kinds of trouble that would have been birthed throughout the land. The first thing that, that David teaches us, the first thing that we need to have in our detail is someone who stands with us. Who's that person that's got your back? When you've had a bad day, who's the first call? When things are are tough and you just just need a hug or something, who's the hugger? Who is it that stands with us and has our back? In our detail, we all need someone like that. We need someone who believes in us, someone who gives us confidence. You know, I don't know about you, but often it's, it's hard to generate confidence within ourselves sometimes, right? But we have someone around us can give us confidence, and we kind of lean and, into and kind of feed off their confidence, right? We need people who will stand with us and stand around us. And when we say, I can't, they say, you can. In our detail, we need people who will stand for us. Secondly, he starts to talk about the broader group a little bit. And he tells this really crazy story. And I think it points to a second group of people that we need on our team in our detail. The second question is this, who will attentively care for you? Who who is going to listen to you and love you and care for you? And so this is the story, starts verse 13. Once during harvest, which means that it was very hot, When David was at the cave of Abdullam, the Philistine army was camped in the valley. The three who were among the 30, an elite group among David's fighting men, went down there to meet meet him there. 
David was staying in a stronghold at the time, and a Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. So let me, let me set, set the stage. David is the king, but in this moment in his life, he is captured. They didn't have the high security prisons, so he's in a cave. And in his cave with him are some of these mighty men surrounded by the enemy who have them trapped. They're in prisons, imprisoned. And so they're in the cave and they're having the conversation and the cave is just a couple of miles away from Bethlehem where David grew up. I've never been in prison, but there's not much to do, I assume. So you just start talking about whatever. And so in the course of this conversation, David starts reminiscing about his childhood in Bethlehem. And just as a throwaway comment, when he's nostalgically talking about the past, he draws their attention to this well that was in Bethlehem. And there was something about this well that was extra special. You know, the water had just a little bit of sparkle. And the story says that David, in the midst of their conversation, just mentioned how good and how refreshing this water was in the hot day. You know, we, we all do that, right? When, we're, when we got a moment to ourselves, sometimes we, we reminisce, and sometimes there are certain words that bring back memories or certain uh, smells that kind of trigger a moment from our past. You know that? Uh, whenever, whenever I go to the roller skating rink with the kids on one of the school nights, uh, I walk through the door and I close my eyes and I could be like 12-year-old me in the roller rink that I went to in England, right? Because they all have this same kind of... Uh, fragrance, <laughs> right? And it's like, where do I recognize that smell from? Oh, that's from my past. And so David's kind of close to the, the water, and he's like, oh, I remember that. And it fills him with joy. His heart just beats a little bit as he's remembering the story. It's a nice story. But he's surrounded by his detail. And these detail guys somehow go to the other side of the cave or whatever and say, hey, did you... Did you hear David talking about that water? How about, because he's such an awesome leader, we break out of here. We'll go to uh, enemy-occupied Bethlehem. We'll get a little bit of water, and then we'll bring it back to him. And that's what they decide to do. I don't know how they broke out the cave. I don't know how they got into the city. I don't know how they found the well and managed to, to get it, but, but somehow, and you know how precarious it is to try and carry water, right? They managed to get it, and then they broke back into the place that was holding them captive because they wanted to give their leader this water. Isn't that an incredible act of friendship? That by all intents and purposes, they would risk their lives to give their friend something, not that he needed, but just something that he mentioned. The second question is, in our life, in our detail, is there someone, some people who are attentively caring for us? 
who are listening not just to what we say, but to what we don't say, or listening to how we say it. So, so they learn the language of our heart and what thrills our heart and gives it with joy. And they say, man, I want to I wanna help there. I, I want to care for you in that way. The story doesn't end there, interestingly. It takes a rather bizarre twist. So they get back to David and they say, hey, David, we got a present for you because we love you. They probably didn't say that. They were tough, mighty men, but you know. <laughs> but they gave him the cup. And he looked at the cup, and Scripture doesn't say this, but we can infer that, as, infer that as David received this cup, he was moved deeply. You know, he he may have been, been crying, who knew, but he knows what a special gift this is. Not because of what it was, but because how it was given. And the story continues that, that David looked at this cup and he said, I'm not worthy to drink this. This is such a special gift. This is the biggest act of care that anybody has shown me. I can't consume of this. I'm not worthy to receive this level of care. He says, I'm going to offer this water to God as an act of sacrifice. I'm sure his detail was saying, no, no, it's all right. It's for you. Don't, don't just kind of waste it and pour it out for God. But I think, too, they understood that when we are given something special, sometimes we're just not worthy to receive it. And God wants our best, and we give our best to God. And so David kind of pours it out as an act of worship to God. And, you know, that was his choice to do. But the principle is the same. Who is it on your detail in your life that will attentively care for you? If we want to fulfill this great and glorious life that God has given us, we need to have people around us who firstly will stand up for us. Secondly, David uh, reminds us that we need people in our life who will care for us. And he continues, he talks about another warrior who killed 300 enemy in a single battle. But then he gets to this guy called Benaiah, son of Yehoda. You know the secret of all these names is just say them confidently and no one, no one guesses. It may or may not be, you know, Yoda or something, who knows. But Benaiah was the son and grandson of a priest. It said he was a valiant warrior. He did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. These were two big Egyptians. And it says this about him. Another time, on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. Once armed only with a club, he killed a great Egyptian warrior who was armed with a spear. Benaniah wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. Deeds like these made Benaniah as famous as the three. It says he later became his chief bodyguard, the head of his detail. You know what Benaniah teaches us? I think he reminds us that we need people in our life 
who will do whatever it takes for us. Benaniah's story is that he was prepared to go to incredible lengths to protect his friend. It said he fought a lion in a pit on a snowy day. (laughs) Mickey's thinking, man, I'd love that opportunity. (laughs) But what was going on there is that he was facing the worst of enemies, a savage lion, in the worst of places, a pit, It's not like he could really run anywhere on snowy conditions, which is the worst of conditions. Benaniah was prepared to fight the worst of enemies in the worst of places, in the worst of conditions to protect his friend and what his friend valued. He was prepared to do whatever it took to help out his friend. The third question that I think David asks by the group that he surrounded himself with is who is there in your life that will do whatever it takes for you? Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about some of the whatever it takes that I expect my kids to do. (laughs) You know, hey, uh, go go get me a, cup of tea and said no we don't want to dad hey you know whatever it takes I'm your dad not not, not that kind of whatever it takes (laughs) but who's prepared to be with us in our darkest moments who's prepared to fight the toughest fights for us who is it that's going to make things really tough for themselves sacrificially so that we can be okay In this not-so-secret service, we need to build a security detail around us. Not just to protect us, but to help us to do what we're called to do. Who is it that's going to stand by you? Who is it that's going to care for you? Who is it that's going to do whatever it takes To support you. For many of us and most of us, that's a tough question. Honestly, that's one of the reasons I believe that God in his wisdom created the church. So that we can be one another's detail. But as I was thinking about this this week and trying to consider those who are in my detail, those who are standing with me and caring for me and doing whatever it takes for me, I realized that in order to develop those kind of people around me, I need to be this kind of person first. So really, the first question isn't who is on my detail. The question is whose detail am I on? Who am I standing up for? Who am I caring for? Who am I doing whatever it takes for? 
Because the reality is we develop details not by saying, hey, you, you, you. But we say, I'm going to serve and I'm going to stand and I'm going to care and I'm going to do whatever for you first. And then as that relationship grows, it reciprocates, right? And before we know it, not only are we surrounded by our detail, but we're surrounding one another with their detail as well. Being a part of this not-so-secret service, of making Jesus' secret known as servants of him, means that we got to get into relationships. Not just nice, plastic, how you doing, good relationships, but relationships where we're prepared to stand for one another. Relationships where we're attentively looking for ways to care for one another and relationships that ultimately call us to do whatever it takes to protect one another. Who's on your detail is the question I would leave you with. But the action step that I would call you to is whose detail are you going to assign yourself to? Who are you going to stand up for? Who are you going to care for? Who are you going to do whatever it takes for?